0: What up? What up? Jimmy Murray here with Frank Petalano and we are the Cashflow Kings. The Cashflow Kings podcast discusses money, finance, mindset, and investing with an emphasis
1: on cash flowing real estate. Thanks for joining the Cashflow Kings and welcome to our new episode, Do-It-Yourself Landlording with Lawrence Jankalo. We're here to help you crush your goals.
0: So guys, before we dive in, I always talk about the fee. So if you like what you hear today, you like what Lawrence has to say, share it with somebody. Lawrence is going to share a ton of useful information for DIY landlords. So share it with someone who manages their own rental property, because I think they're going to be able to find it really helpful. Also, if you have one second, go out to iTunes or Google Play and leave us a five-star review. We appreciate it. And with that, Lawrence, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me on. So I know Frank was giving us a little bit of a rundown. You own or founded avail.co and you work or you've built it specifically for DIY landlords and what pushed you to get into that space?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I'm a do-it-yourself landlord myself. And um, maybe I should clarify what do-it-yourself landlord means. Uh, You know, it's, it's someone who buys and rents out a property, obviously to make cash flow, and you don't want to give away all of your money to um, necessarily someone to uh, manage it for you. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad, particularly when you're beginning. Um, if you're doing that, you, you can kind of give away all of your profits. So um, especially when you're learning, I think, you know, we emphasize just trying to do it yourself, manage it yourself, learn what you can keep a lot of that cash. I, I feel like it fits the theme that you guys have with cash flow is everything that allows you in those early years when you're first starting to keep as much cash as you can.
0: Um, yeah, so, that's, so that's kind of what, to I'm gonna, going to pause you for one second. I think it is really important for investors when they start to manage their own property and, understand, and understand the headaches of, or the struggles of what it takes to manage your own property. I think if off the rip, you hire a property manager, I think it's, it's a difficult endeavor because you don't know um, kind of the pitfalls that they face on a daily basis and the experience that they bring. I think it's really important for that investor off the jump to experience the pain because it's, it's not all rainbows and butterflies and shoot trains and, you know, unlimited cash flow. Um, it, it's, it's tough. You're in the trenches and it's a bit of a grind until you figure out the process and figure out how you want to play. That definitely helps you learn the right terminology and what
2: happens um, in property management. So when you do work with a property manager, your expectations are more clear and uh, realistic.
1: You know, I think a Absolutely. lot of
2: times a landlord might hire a property manager and not understand how complicated it is and then, uh, when bad things happen, they take that frustration out of the property manager. And that's not always yep. fair either. So um, right. that learning is pretty key. So that's what we what we mean by do-it-yourself landlords, people who just manage it themselves. Um, and so I started off as a do-it-yourself landlord. I'm still a do-it-yourself landlord. I've got 60 units here in Chicago. Um, been doing that for eight years now. Um, and that's actually kind of what made uh, my business partner, Ryan, and I found Avail. Um awesome. We needed some tools to help us we couldn't afford property managers so we started thinking what tools do property managers use to help smooth over their business and we realized, hey they they create a listing but they syndicate it to multiple places to make it easier to find tenants or you might have a a formal rental application and access to a credit report you might allow tenants to pay online all of those things that professionals do aren't available to do-it-yourself landlords and so we said hey we need those no one's offering it to us Um, So we quit our jobs and said, we were going to build those tools for
0: do-it-yourself landlords. I'd love that. And honestly, I think one of the biggest things as I dive through your offering is the the background checks. I can't tell you how many DIY landlords that I've spoken with over the years that are like, Hey, this person walked in, they, they seem pretty cool. And they handed me a pile of cash and that's the last cash (laughs) that they received until they went to eviction court. Right. So I think that's, that's really important. I think, another big component of your offering is the maintenance aspect, right? So maybe you could talk us through a little bit um, about how avail differentiates themselves from the rest of the market.
2: Yeah. So I think a big thing for us is, um, you know, in the real estate space, you might have this bifurcation where you start thinking about leasing as separate than property management um and we try to eradicate that because for are doing yourself landlord it's one process i got to get a tenant in there and then i got to treat that tenant well for 12 months and hopefully they renew and so we, we remove that bifurcation and we say hey look you're just managing a rental property and everything that comes with it so when we built the software and tools we said we need to help landlords go through the entire process so the listing syndication which flows directly into tenant screening so all that data just flows right in um, we'll request applications Um, from those tenants, the system does it for you, which will include rental history, employment history, income verification. It'll pull credit reports, criminal background checks, eviction reports. Those are really key, as you mentioned. A lot of landlords don't know that those even exist. Um, And when I got started in landlording, some of the horror stories people would tell me was the idea of professional tenants. So those would be tenants who move in, they give you that wad of cash up front, but then they know you didn't run these checks and then they don't pay you again. They know they can live there for free for 10 months. Yep. Um, and so those checks are really important. Um, and then from the screening, obviously, if you've got a tenant you like, then you need to get a lease agreement. Um, most cities are super, and states are super specific on what needs to be in a lease for you not to get in trouble. And so we provide city and state specific lease agreements. So you're not having to go to a lawyer and get a new one every year. Um, those can be signed online. Um, which especially now with the pandemic where nobody wants to mail stuff back and forth, super important that you can sign something online. And then we let their tenants pay their rent online. So we take them through the entire process. Um, Even on rent, like I don't want to receive checks where in the mail, where there's someone who's an envelope anymore, you know? So the whole world is changing a little bit there. Um, And so we take them through that whole flow. And then on the maintenance side, that's what before landlords become landlords, what they're most worried about. You know, you're worried that am I going to get calls at three in the morning to fix a toilet or something like that. Um, Luckily for me personally, I've never had a tenant do that, uh, mostly because at 3 a.m. they're all sleeping. And so am I. And so not a lot happens then. But maintenance does occur. um, And so what our system allows it to happen is a tenant will submit that maintenance through the website or text message, which will flow through the website. um, And it gives it one place for the landlord to see everything that's happening. Um, it kind of removes the idea of them calling you over and over again. You don't have to give out your cell phone number. Um, so you at least get some, um, you can use them available almost as that intermediary. So you, yeah. you know, avoid that confrontation. Um, and then from there we'll surface, um, uh, recommendations on what contractors you can use. Most of those are coming through Yelp currently. Um, but we've got big plans on, on changing how that works. And be getting bids in real time and those kinds of things that are in the works. So, um, but for now, it's really just a tracking point for maintenance. Um, you know, We try to make things fair for tenants too, so at least a tenant can look and see, hey, these are all the outstanding maintenance. Hold some, uh, you know, hold landlord's feet to the fire a little bit and say, hey, these are like 40 days old, can you take care of it? Um, we try to bridge that transparency for them. So uh, that's kind of soup to nuts what we do. there's a whole bunch of intricate details in there, but
0: that, that's the essence of it. Good stuff. And then, so the other major offering, um, as I was reviewing Avail is that you guys have a rental analysis report. So maybe you could talk to a little bit um, how you help the DIY landlords with correctly pricing their units.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, for most landlords, if you've got tenants already and they're vacating the place, you kind of know what the rent amount should be. You know, they've been yep. paying for years or whatever it is. And so you've got a good sense and um, maybe you do like an annual 5% or 10% increase. And so you kind of know, I think where those rent analysis reports come in most often are in two scenarios. The first is if you're buying a building that maybe hasn't had renters before, um, and then you, just, you have no idea what to price it at. And that those reports can really help. It's looking at comparables. It's looking at what shape the place is in. Um, it's pulling you know, public and private data to give you, hey, this is the rent amount for this place. It's super valuable. The other use case, and this happens a lot for first-time uh, real estate owners, is you'll buy... In Chicago, we call it three flats. So you might buy a three flat and live in one of the units. And maybe you live there for four or five years, and then you eventually move out, but you want to keep the rental property. But you've been living in that place for four or five years. You have no idea what one of those units is going to rent for. So that might be another time where, hey, you go to that rental analysis report and say, this is um, what I should charge. Or if you're going to refinance and you're living in the unit, then you have some... you have some ammunition to go to like an appraiser and say, Hey, this is, or, or a mortgage broker and say, this is what it's worth. So there's, there's a lot of good use cases for that and let alone peace of mind to know that you're charging your, the full amount you can.
1: So Definitely. Lawrence, your uh, software is uh so you're a house hacker basically. I no, I wasn't, but we do have a lot of customers, um, yeah, are. so I was wondering, so, so this is perfect for, for someone, we have a lot of house hackers that uh, w- that listen to our podcast, so this is perfect for their niche. It, mm-hmm. It's uh, just enough that it builds some systems in, it uses technology, we have a lot of millennials, as Jimmy would agree, uh, that are that are buying properties and, and living in one of the units and renting them out. What's really cool too is, uh, Jim, you know when you bought your first uh, four unit and you moved into one, you like to say that you're, that you're the owner. Other people like to say, "Oh, yeah, I'm just the manager." So this yeah. avail might help, might help with that as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I am an extreme introvert. I've kind of come out of my shell here. Most people will probably be surprised listening to this, know that I'm an introvert. Um, I try to play an extrovert during the day, but I'm very yeah. tired when I get home. Right. Um, but I always thought it was really important to tell the tenants that I was the owner of the property because when they saw me out there busting my butt every weekend, <clears throat> I thought it was important for them to to see me working on it and know that I owned it and I was taking care of it. I remember I had 110 in the beginning. He's like, it's crazy, man. I see you walking out in a three piece suit in the morning. And then on the weekend you're in work boots and a wife beater up putting a roof on the garage. And I'm like, by any means possible. Right. Um, just going to make it happen. But honestly um, I've reviewed, I mean, I am Frank will tell you, I'm a technology freak um, in terms of what we do for uh, line property management and avail is the most all inclusive offering I've seen on the, the DIY landlord side of things compared to the access to technology that I have as a property manager. um, Avail is the most inclusive. I I think that you guys really tackle like the most key aspects and the fact that you're working on making the maintenance side even better um, by providing quality contractors. Two of the biggest things I think for DIY landlords is one, pricing your units correctly because right now in today's market, you're probably buying a building that is, and they always say, well, they've been here for a long time. So that means it's under rented. You got to figure out how to get them to market so you can generate that return. And hopefully you get a those discount. Are best, those are the best places to buy because you can increase the value immediately. You're speaking my love language. Those are my favorite. Those are my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my really?
1: favorite things to hear. <laughs> I could
0: I could tell stories all day of the properties that we've bought this year <clears throat> that, that talk about that. Um, but then the other thing is maintenance. Like I, I remember stories of when I started in like two months in, we're in the middle of a snowstorm and it's 3 a.m. It is 50 degrees in the house. The heat isn't on. And I think it's a heating issue. It turns out it's an electrical issue. And I'm like, who do I call? Yeah. Right? Like 23 years old, I'm jumping like a three foot snow uh, drift in, my, in the driveway to get to the heating system. And I have no idea what's going on. So guys, if you're listening in, like this is a system that can really help you out. If they're pulling in reviews and and offering up some some contractors in the area, and honestly, if they're on Yelp and have good reviews, Mm -hmm. Yelp is kind of like the collector of bad reviews, in my opinion. So if you find someone that has good reviews out there, they're probably really damn good. Yeah,
2: I agree with that. You know, when um, a couple of years ago, I had um, a tenant call and say the air conditioning is not working. And so I got a contractor to come out. He went up to the rooftop where the unit is. And uh, he's looking at it. He comes down. He's like, oh, yeah, the whole, I don't even know what term he used like the whole motor or something is below and yep. he's gonna have to replace it and i'm thinking in my head great 3500 bucks to have him replace this and uh, he's like all right i'm gonna go get the part and i'll come back uh, later today but he didn't tell me how much it was so he came back like four or five hours later and he's like i got the part i'm gonna go do it And i'm like wait a minute how much is this and if he had said 3500 i would have been like yeah makes sense and it, it was only 600 bucks awesome like, so but I like, I would have paid him 3500 because how would I know? I would have not known any difference. And I think if you can help alleviate some of that, like how much does it cost paying that landlord space? Um, I think you go a long way. And that's partly what we're gonna try to accomplish here over the next years. Um, remove some of, the, I guess, pricing asymmetry is what I would call it. Um, and then bring some of that transparency to landlords. Good
1: stuff, good stuff. What yes. would be the, um, if you think of your typical typical person, your client base, but what would be like the largest groups or people that you, you work with? I mean, is there anybody that you have on your platform that's like managing like 30 or 40 doors or through you or not?
2: Yeah. I mean, we, um, so like our marketing efforts, target landlords with nine or fewer units, yeah, um, I understand 90% that. or more will have just one, uh, single family home or a condo or something like that. Um, but, 10% of our customers have more than that. We've got several landlords who've got 300, 400 doors. Oh, wow. And yeah. um, they do really well. The, the site is super responsive. It's well organized. Um, it's built for like how, how property managers would think, and it's intuitive. So you can have any number on there. Um, I'd say 400 is probably the largest we have today, um, but it could go even higher than that
1: that's awesome Now, is there some way for i keep cutting jimmy off there is uh is there some way that say that there's one one part of the service that they don't like is there there, there's ways to cut out certain parts if if they wanted to for example um do you have to pay online or can the people still pay if they want some other way yeah i mean you can choose to use the features however you want so um
2: that might bring up a good question for pricing and maybe our pricing is silly because um we've two pricing options. So the first one is free. You can use all of the stuff I've mentioned right now for free. Um, so from the listings to the tenant screening, to the lease payments, maintenance, all free. Um, and then we have a second tier, which is $5 per door. So, um, and then what that enables you is a lot more customization, maybe a little more um, professional settings and things that you might want to tweak. So do you, for instance, do you want automatically fees if your tenants haven't paid by the fifth of the month, do you want to have to go in and add a fee or do you want the system to automatically do that? Or do you want to write your own lease clauses and have them be part of the system? Um, then you might want to pay the $5 per door. Um, but if you're not, then you can pick and choose whatever features you want to use. If you don't want to use us for listings, totally, well, we don't care. I, I mean, we do care. We actually want you to follow the whole process because we've built a lot into um, um, helping landlords do it responsibly. Um, and so for our mer- just responsibility's responsibility sake, we want everyone flowing through the whole thing because we, we, we look at tenants as they're not less than the landlords. They need to have an honest, fair, transparent landlord. And if you follow our Absolutely. process as a landlord, you're going to do better. You're going to make more money, but your tenants are going to have a higher quality of life too. So
0: there's an element of that as well. That is a huge point. The right tenants nowadays, they crave technology. So mm-hmm. to have access to the system that you've built that I think it, I think it's, standard in today's market to attract the right tenants now one of the biggest i would say life changing things for me as a diy landlord before i got really deep into the game was syndication i can remember my first rental listing i put it out on craigslist i was so excited i booked 10 appointments on a saturday and i booked them every 30 minutes from like 10 a.m till 2 p.m right how many of them showed up one person right so you know you've been through it right so like Craigslist can work, but honestly, I don't believe in Craigslist. Some old school landlords will call me and they're like, why aren't you guys marketing on Craigslist? And I'm like, syndicated listings works. Mm -hmm. Now, with that being said, recently, Zillow has pushed through changes where they're now charging for the syndicated listings. So are you able to share how Avail is handling that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll start with Craigslist, completely share your feeling on Craigslist. We don't syndicate to Craigslist. Uh, One, because they don't want it, they don't allow it. And then just the quality and of the leads you get is so low, it's not worth your time. You're going to spend so much more effort going to those showings and no one comes. So, um, and then, um, in all honesty, Zillow, I think does great as a syndication partner. Um, they get a lot of high quality tenant leads and it's not just Zillow. It's Zillow has several properties. So it includes hot pads and Trulia. Um, and originally we were finding that that made up like 30% of the leads we get for our customers. So that's really um,
0: interesting because uh, my numbers are the same. We get 30% from the Zillow network and then the following 40% come from the Zumper network. So I don't yeah. Know and Zumper's really someone...
2: taken off too because a couple yeah. of years ago Zumper was maybe like 1%, 5%. So Zumper's coming in and then there's a whole bunch of other partners as well. So you've got, you know, like the realtor doorsteps, um, you yep. got walk score. Um, there's apartment list. Uh, there, there's so many that if you sum them all together, you can try to reduce the, um, the reliance you have on any one partner as a landlord. And so for Zillow, um, it really depends on historically, have you been getting most of your leases through Zillow? So not just the leads, but ultimately who do you sign with? Have they been from Zillow? If that's the case, maybe it makes sense to pay now, their Now you sound fee? like the
0: sales guys over at Zillow to be like, well, are you're <laughs> tracking where your applications come from. I'm like, yeah, great well, question. I see where my leads come <laughs> from, but.
2: Yeah. And they're tra- they're tracking it all. So I don't know. It depends on the landlord. For me, I've, I get a lot of my leases from Zillow, but um, this past year, when I had a couple of vacancies, I got a lot from Zumper too, um and a handful from apartment list so um in all honesty, you probably don 't need to pay for Zillow because there 's so many alternatives um but uh, so that's that 's going to come to each individual landlord if you 're a landlord with four hundred doors i don 't think you want to pay zillow it 's just too expensive but as a as a do it yourself landlord, you maybe have one or three units uh paying a uh, two dollars a day. And maybe you only have it up for seven days a year. Like, it doesn't make a difference. Um, right. What's frustrating about the Zillow experience is you have to, like, most syndication um, partners, it's fully integrated. You'll create a listing with us, and we just push it out everywhere. And Zillow is the same, but um, it won't actually turn active until you sign a DocuSign with Zillow directly. Um, yep. And like they, They're not very responsive about that. So you'll create it with us and then we and you will reach out to Zillow. We're just constantly reaching out to them. And it may take seven days for Zillow to reply with the document to sign. And now you've lost a weekend and you've lost um, like probably one fourth of your chance to get really quality tenants. Um, talking, you may talking only have three or like four a, weekends. Talking so, like
0: a tried and true landlord. Vacancy is the silent killer in this business.
2: Yeah, so losing so days experience. is the worst. The experience they've built around it is awful. And for that reason alone, I would, I would encourage people not to go through with it um, unless they can fix the experience. But the quality of the leads otherwise are good. So maybe if you are reliant on Zillow, uh, I would start your listings a week earlier than you normally would. So you can square that all away. Good stuff.
1: So your business itself—you've you've had it for about eight years. Um, I know it's it's techy, so you don't need to have a lot of employees, but it's just it's just you and your partner. You have a few other employees, or
2: yeah, it started with just the two of us. Uh, we we're both
1: finance majors. Um,
2: I was I was at nice. Goldman Sachs when you know we quit and um, I was doing those rental properties on the side. And at some point, we realized, hey, I need need these tools, and um, it. It was one of those where like, hey, we could build this kind of on our weekends, but it's never going to materialize anything. So we quit cold turkey um, and we tried to find some engineers to help build the platform and nobody wanted to work for equity. Everyone was like, oh, equity is basically zero dollars. So no one's going to work for free. (laughs) What Um, year was that?
1: 2012 or so?
2: Yeah, exactly. And so we actually um, rolled up our sleeves, taught ourselves to code. Uh, I think I wrote the first 500,000 lines of code. Um, wow. So we spent that first two years basically just doing that, um, building what, it, what we call a minimum viable product, essentially. Yep. And um, so late 2014, we were able to get far enough uh, where it made sense to try to get out to the public and start charging people. And then we just saw landlords blocking to it. And, um, it seemed to work pretty well. And, uh, that allowed us to raise some angel rounds and then followed on with like our first in- institutional round in 2015 and 2017. Um, but now we've got 40 full-time employees, um, half of them are on the product. So constantly developing and iterating and making it better. Um, so it's actually a pretty large team now, uh, I think fortunately, the way Ryan and I have run the business has been—we uh, look at cash flow. Like it's important. Like the, we came with that mentality from our rental properties, we brought into our business. So the unit economics we have are very strong. Um, we're constantly growing. We don't feel like we're at risk, even with the pandemic happening. Um, I think, uh, in a, a lot of ways, our business is lucky. A lot, a lot more landlords are needing us now than before. So, pretty pretty happy with where we're at and with what we can build going forward.
0: So when you guys built the MVP minimum viable, minimum viable product for people mm-hmm. keeping track at home, what was your, what did you like test going to market first? Or you just go all out? Like what was the strategy for you to start finding the landlords to leverage your platform?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, fortunately we were lucky because we were landlords. So yeah. we had a very good sense of what we wanted and what was needed. And then we had really good examples of what can be done out there that property managers were using. So at that time, you know, Yardie um which yep. maybe the main player still is honestly um you'd have yardy and you'd have maybe app polio and uh, that's all that really existed maybe real page tuned you you could go look at their software and you could see what they're offering they were just terrible ui um and terrible experience and still real
0: page ui is like
2: the worst yeah. the worst um and so we re- so and they target customers that are super large, Um, you know, you already probably targets a customer with a thousand doors at a minimum, um, maybe 10,000 doors and you're paying a lot. Like it's just not affordable for someone with one to five units or so. Right. So we said, Hey, we're going to target these smaller landlords. They don't really think like a business, even though we want them to. Um, They're very consumer mindset. So we knew that they're going to need a great interface, great experience. Um, It's going to have to be free because that's how consumer mindsets are. Um, and that shaped a lot of our thinking initially for what we would have to build and do. And then we also realized a lot of them are really kind of beginners; they're, they're first-time landlords. They don't know what they're doing. And so we we thought our product has the central piece of our product has to be educational and process-driven. Um, and that's what led us to build six features um, day one, as opposed to maybe just building one syndication and going from there. Because we we thought moving them in the right direction from one thing to the next and helping them learn and get past that learning curve was more important than any individual
1: feature.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff.
1: I'm just amazed. It sounds awesome. By the way, uh, just a shout out to our audience here. I mean, we're not, making any kind of sales pitch for uh, Lawrence. We've uh, never used the software. We're not getting paid to do this. We, I mean, think about it. Jimmy owns a property management business here. And uh, we just saw it as a, a cool opportunity to help out some of our uh, listeners. Which I, is would,
0: I would tell you guys, I've used all the top property management softwares outside of Yardia. I've used PropertyWare, Buildium, Appfolio. I am a huge believer in Appfolio. And I think Frank will second that based on being client of Lions for a while. Um, I'm, I'm impressed by the offering of Avail. Um, you know, I wasn't familiar with it before, but based on what these guys are saying, they deliver on the website and what Lawrence is telling us about, like, this is hands down the best DIY landlord software I've come across. And like, I am OCD about our technology and being a technology firm. Like I'm a finance guy like Lawrence too. And, uh, I didn't, I interviewed at Goldman, but didn't make it. Um, but I worked at Fidelity for a very long time and they were very technology oriented. Um, And that's what I took into my business. And honestly, like, if you want to succeed in, in today's real estate world, technology is going to be at the forefront. You've got to be using the right technology. And for a DIY landlord, I would tell you to go check out Avail for sure.
2: Appreciate that. Very flattering. And um, yeah, they don't have to take your word for it. They could try it. It's free. If they hate it, they can leave a comment on your podcast and say it sucks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) give Give it a spin and see if they like it.
1: Good stuff. What, um, I'm just loving the concept of you having uh, 40 employees. What, uh, what was your biggest challenge with growing? Was it Was it the money? Was it, was it what was it? Uh, every year it seems to present <laughs> an extra so, large challenge that just seems to eclipse every other.
2: Um, this year, we're super focused on data. Uh, we're trying to figure out how we can help cities understand what's happening, especially with the pandemic, because um, mm-hmm. rent payments aren't being made like they used to. And it's affecting some parts of cities a lot more than others. And we have all that data because tenants are paying through our system. Uh, we've got 200,000 landlords using us. So uh, across amazing. every city, basically, United States. So we, we have a lot of data that shows where problems are occurring. And um, like Ryan and I take it upon ourselves as a platform to share what's happening out there, at least the data. Like Ryan and I aren't going to suggest policy, but we, sh- we feel it's super important to share that data. And so getting that to the right years um, who can do something about it is important to us. And that's been a big challenge for this year. As a business owner, starting a business, um, I thought it would be easier when we got funding and it ended up being a lot more difficult just mentally. Um, when you put in your own money, which is we did, it's like if you lose a dollar, it's like mine is my dollar. But um, the second we took friends and family money, institutional money, um, our It it became harder. Every dollar was someone else's and we just felt like we really had to do right by them. And um, when we made a mistake and lost, uh, didn't do the right campaign or didn't build the right thing, we just felt the pressure that we just lost someone's money and they worked hard for it. Um, So that was a challenge. Um, I'd say um, getting employees was similar challenge. You think when you get employees, things are going to be a lot easier and you need them because Ryan and I have a very niche skill set. was finance. We weren't that good at coding. So you need to add people who've got skills that aren't what we have. And so you absolutely need those, but managing employees who all have their own motivations and expectations and they're trying to build their own skills and careers, um, is really challenging because you find that all of a sudden you're not spending time growing your business. You're, you're growing your employees. And that's super important um, that you try to help them develop themselves. Um, and you hope that if you develop them, they grow the business. So there's, there's a lot of challenge that we just, every year it seems to be something.
1: new. And you hope they're not just there for a paycheck. Yeah, you (laughs) hope,
2: but you can never, you can never know. Um, we do have a lot of uh, our employees are either tenants using our system to pay the rent and love it or their landlords using us. So, um, we feel that they have a connection with the
1: product, which really helps. Yeah. Love it. I'm going to throw out a couple of questions here, just based on what you said with the 200,000 landlords. You might not even have some of these answers. You're, uh, are you from Chicago originally? Um, I've been in Chicago since um, I turned 10. Uh, okay, yeah, so yeah, my family's originally from South Africa, so we immigrated here. Nice. Uh, when I turned 10. What What do you consider your? Uh, what states are, do you consider yourself in the most? Is it like Illinois and maybe? You might not even have that data, but you know, what do you What are your cities you or states you're in the most?
2: Yeah, I mean, where our landlord's properties are mimic, um, you know, geographic and uh, demographic data. So uh, they're mostly in big cities. Um, Chicago is maybe a little bigger than the others, not by much. I think Chicago represents 4% of our customers, which is large.
1: But that's because um, you're in Chicago too. So. That's because
2: we're in Chicago and it's just a little bit more groundswell here. But yeah, a lot of our customers in Chicago, Houston, Dallas, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, New Jersey—they really mirror um, where the population uh, charts are.
1: Awesome, good stuff. I think we're what a, in like eighteen
2: thousand zip codes. So.
1: <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you have. Yeah, uh, do you have people that are uh, like even the rural? Are you in some of the rural markets, perhaps? Yeah, we're definitely
2: in some of the rural rural markets, and we're seeing that they're less affected by the pandemic and such. Um, but they also tend to not really care for technology so much. So a lot of the rural customers maybe use only one feature or so. And it's generally they rely a lot more on listings, like our listing syndication, because it's a lot harder to find tenants in those areas um, where they don't seem to care so much about the maintenance or payments. A lot of them tend to be more handy. So there is, there is a little bit there, but that's, that's a much smaller subset of our
1: customer base. And by the way, for the listeners, when they say syndications on this episode, this is different than real estate syndications on a lot of the other episodes that we talk about. This is uh, when you have, uh, for example, a vacant unit and it just, it populates out to different websites. Yep. Exactly. All right. So let's see. Let's ask some questions that we ask everybody. Um, if someone wants to become a better investor, what would you recommend? you um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, that makes you at least a better manager. Um, I'd say it starts um, before you buy the property. We're talking real estate specifically here, I guess. Um, It starts when you buy it because like a lot of first time buyers will think emotionally a little bit um, where you'll look at the property and you'll be like, Hey, I can imagine where my couch would go and my stuff would go and, Um, that's not going to make you focus on cash flow necessarily. So you want to buy a place where um, you're looking at the numbers. So you want to look at what the gross rent multiplier is in the area and what does this property come in at compared to that. Um, Can you make a good cash on cash return for the place? I look at that more than I do cap rate, um, even though that's probably the inverse of the gross rent multiplier a little bit. Um, So it all begins before you even buy it. Um, that's why personally I don't like investing in single family homes because you're competing against emotional buyers who will typically drive up the price because um, they don't care about return. So uh, that's why I like multi multifamily, um, even just two units or three units. Um, so in, in a nutshell, just buy correctly is the biggest piece of advice.
1: You don't need to sell us. We, we love... Uh... I mean, I love my single family space, but uh, it all depends on the on the market cycle too. So I'm selling actually all my single family portfolio now, but we haven't sold any of the multis, so. All right, so next question. Uh, what is one book that you've read uh, lately or uh, that you consider a must read? I like a lot of the Malcolm
2: Gladwell books.
1: Um, so it. Outliers is really good.
2: It's really helped me think about the business. Um, so that one's a really good one. Um, I'd recommend people think about um, any of the Malcolm Gladwell books and how they frame or uh, lead to your business. Um, I The one that like I read before we started the business, probably cliche now, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, obviously a staple for everyone to read. Um, I hate recommending it just to put more money in his pocket, but um, it really helps <laughs> you think about.
1: He's done um, well.
2: Yeah, he's he's done well. But I think the critical thing that it helps you with is is treating um, yourself as a business or whatever ventures you do as a business. So a lot of people might start something as a hobby. And um, you have to quickly turn that hobby into a business mindset. So starting to think about revenue, expenses, how do you grow the revenue? Um, and if you don't do that, you never break free of that like your nine to five or think of it as a hobby. So even with our customers now, uh, the ones who have one unit, it's really hard for them to bridge that gap and think about that rental property as a business. And I think Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, really helps frame that for you. Um, And then you obviously just think in terms of things, what's an asset, what's a liability, super helpful um, to frame like buy things that
1: are assets, not a a primary residence. Yep. All right, so last question. what do you want to be when you grow up? Where do you see a business five years from now or so?
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we're definitely focused on the do-it-yourself landlord space. There's 8 million do-it-yourself landlords in the United States. Uh, we've got 200,000 of them. So I think there's a lot of room for us still to go. Um, it's a very fragmented part of the market, really hard to reach. No one's got, and I think we have the highest market share of them. Um But a lot of good can come if we can bring them all in one space. So a lot of um, price challenges that happen, a lot of just information asymmetry can be wiped away. A lot of public good can happen. You know, a lot of what we're trying to do this year with um, helping housing authorities and cities manage their policies, a lot of good can come out of that if we can get more landlords on our platform. So I look at five years from now as having Avail really try to be almost the operating system for housing authorities to make decisions or, or governments to make policy change. And then looking at that data and seeing, did the policy change it the way they thought it would? Um, so that they have some recursion in there where they can see, okay, it worked or didn't work, now let's update it. Because a lot of times now you make a policy and you don't know if it worked and you just kind of hope. Because um, there's,
1: there's not really any data on this part of the market. Yeah, especially the small, the smaller do-it-yourselfers, like you said, that's like when I see, I don't know, right when the pandemic started, they were talking about the percentage of people that weren't paying, Uh, but then they they used uh, all the large institutional uh, Mm -hmm. apartment complexes. It's like, yeah, but that's that's not what you know. How big is the difference between the institutional's versus the number of do-it-yourselfers, like you're saying?
2: Yeah, and there's you know 44 million rental units in
1: the United States.
2: So the institutional people own less than the do-it-yourself landlords. Those do-it-yourself landlords own, four, uh, own 24 million units. That's like 50, 52%. So right. there's, there's more units by the do-it-yourselfers. So if you're only looking at one side, it's totally skewed
1: what you're looking at. Yeah. I, I just, I, I can't wait to see you get more into the, the public policy realm. I know, for example, in our market, uh, I consider ourselves very anti-development. And uh, it is really crunching us uh, because we're having a hard time building new units. At the same point, an hour away or just over an hour away with the Boston market. And uh, they have have a plan to build 200,000 new housing units in the next decade. And you can just see the difference. And it's like, wow, I mean, they're going to continue to grow. And maybe that'll help slow down the, the price of housing going up there. But here we have a very old housing stock, and uh, it's very fragmented. Wouldn't you agree, Jimmy?
0: Very fragmented. Yeah. yeah.
1: The owners. Yeah, and that's why, without the data, all you have is two sides arguing
2: opinions, and um, you're just you're not going to get anywhere. That's why I like the idea of let the data speak for itself. Let that influence policy. Let that influence whether the policy was a success. and needs to be reverted, or was sorry was not a success. and needs to be reverted or is it success and needs to be, even like pushed further. So let the data do the talking.
1: Jimmy, this sounds very much like Neil Bawa or Raj Tech Chandani, some sure of the real does. data-driven uh, bigger investors that we know. And uh, when your podcast comes out, Lawrence, I'm going to actually tag uh, the Stealthy Rich on it because they uh, both have full-time jobs. And between the two of them, they're managing about, I don't know, what, 80, 80 single-family doors? Sounds right. Sounds right. Yeah. And I think they're doing it all by themselves. They have built systems, but uh, if you have a, a discounted platform free or $5 a door, mm-hmm. they might love it. Yeah, it's, they see a lot of time savings and stress relief just using anything.
0: <laughs> so Lawrence, we appreciate having you on today. If somebody wants to reach out and learn more about Avail or reach out to you with a specific question, what's the best way?
2: Sure. I mean, best way is just come to the homepage and check it out. It's avail.co, avai Co. Um, and then I also love talking with listeners directly too. So um, they can reach me at my person like my personal email address, which is lawrence at avail.co and that's spelled L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E at Avail.co. Happy to talk with anybody who's thinking about becoming a landlord, thinking about the software.
0: Um, I-, I love I just love engaging about real estate. So yeah, I hear reach that out to me. I hear that. So guys, if you have any more questions, check out avail.co or reach out to lawrence at avail.co. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Cashflow Kings podcast. In between time, check out our website at thecashflowkings.com or give us a follow on Instagram as we post daily content that hopefully helps drive some of your success.
1: Cheers to your success. The Cashflow Kings program is for basic entertainment purposes only. We do not give official legal, tax, or investment advice.